Hi, my name is DJ Trishler, and this is Process Out Loud, the podcast. It's a space where I reflect on everything that I've learned from teaching and studying during the previous week. Most of the content I will refer to um, comes from my experiences in the Master's of Design program through the School of Design at the University of Cincinnati's College of Design, Architecture, Art, and Planning, otherwise known as DAP. While there's a lot to cover in one week, I try to keep the episodes brief at about 10 minutes each. I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the latest installment of Process Out Loud. I'll just jump right into um, my Welcome to Design lecture course that I'm teaching. If you recall, last, last week I talked about responsible design and the differences between responsible design and commercial design and how they are really distinctively different. You can't go into a design process um, for, say, the intent of responsible design and have the same tools and intentions as, as commercial. Commercial is all about making money, profits, but responsible design gets into like what's good for the community and the stakeholders on the community grassroots level. And so that requires a totally different perspective. And we had the joy and pleasure of having three responsible designers speak in my um, welcome design course. Fatima Bakswala of the work department, Amanda Buck, um, she's an independent designer in Maryland, also a teacher at MICA, and um, Betsy Ramachia, who is a designer, design researcher, excuse me, um, at Greater Good Studio. And it was just so nice, I think, just to hear how people are practicing responsible design, the challenges of it. I got to say, responsible design sounds attractive. I mean, growing up, um, graduating, there was Design for Good that AIGA had. And oftentimes there's this brand that uh, like just looks fun, lighthearted, but it's a ton of work. It's a ton of research, too, to make sure that you're getting all the voices of the community um, into your into your process, making sure that they're paid, making sure that they're um, they feel the ownership. And I gotta say, it, it seems a lot easier to do commercial design, where um, you know it, you don't always have to have those factors in place. Um, and as I go into this week studying discursive and experimental design, those even feel um, somewhat easier too. I think that they can bring in some of the factors, they do bring in some of the factors of responsible design, getting community's voice heard and, um, and ownership as well. But um, I guess what I just want to say is I think responsible design is a lot harder than maybe we make it out to be. And, um, and it's a challenge. And I, I, I think that anybody that practices it is really a true servant. And um, I still find myself interested in it. And um, I hope to find ways to practice it after I graduate or even in my, 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 um, studies. But uh, yeah, such a good good class. Look up look up those ladies and check out their work. This week I've been learning about, um, like, like I said, experimental, which is about exploring materials, and um, discursive, which is about creating discourse or dialogue. And I gotta have to admit, for the longest time I thought they were the same thing. I thought that when somebody experimented with a material, it would create a conversation, so therefore it would be discursive. And then I thought if somebody was being discursive, that's also kind of experimental because it's usually futuristic. But this gets back to, I think, what Bruce and Stephanie Tharp in their article about the four fields for Core 77 um, say, which is it's about intent. Oftentimes it's hard to know intents of designers. We don't um, often talk about it. We just show our work. But is the intent to explore materials or processes as um as I, I was talking to Matt Wazinski about the, the differences, he's a professor at the School of Design. Um, so I literally just said, hey, so I'm really interested in speculative. Is, is that really just 
experimental plus um, discursive. And he's like, no, no, no. So essentially, get back to the intent. Experimental design is about exploring materials and processes, and discursive is about um, creating conversations. And so discursive, let's start there. We might say like speculative design is, is discursive, where you're speculating the future, where you might like create a form that creates a discussion. And I'll, I'll transition there into um, what I'm doing in design issues, where I'm trying to create this symbol for boondockers. But my goal isn't necessarily responsible or commercial. My intent is to create a symbol that creates a conversation amongst boondockers so that maybe they might ask themselves, do we need a symbol? Is a symbol necessary? If there was a symbol, what would it look like? And I'm not trying to be the designer that designs the symbol, but designs, as um, we heard George A. talk about in his article about good design, creating the conditions that that conversation could take place. And I might find out quickly that that's, that's not what the community wants as a symbol, but that's, it's almost, I, I, I don't know if y'all have heard of, um, what's it called, research through design, by like putting something out into the community to get a response. And that feels somewhat discursive. Um, whereas in my process, I am experimenting with materials. Like what if I made this symbol for boondockers out of rocks or tape, basically the materials around an RV or a van that are easily accessible so nobody has to buy anything um, and participate in commercial or um, consumerism. And so that is experimental, but my intent is still discursive. And so that's that's how I'm starting to differentiate them. And there, I kind of killed two birds with one stone talking about welcome design and design issues. Now, moving on to um, type. Um, in type one, we're learning about paragraphs and lines of text. We are moving away from words. And so it, for me, this is interesting you know i i know so many of these things but i've never taught type before and i'm learning so much about type through teaching type and the biggest thing i'm learning as a teacher is small chunks um and and explain everything as much as possible um and and so before i was just kind of throwing projects out there and saying go do it and now i'm kind of throwing projects out in chunks and and each week i'm giving them like an hour lecture on how to use in design, and then two hours of studio time so that they can work and ask me questions. And rather than creating these like fantastic lectures, I just create bullet points. I follow the bullet points. Then I go into InDesign and I and I give tutorials. And then they're recorded on Zoom. Students can go back and watch them. And so, yeah, that's it's kind of a change of um, you know I've, I'm kind of grounded in lecturing in a lot of ways because I've lectured for the past three years. But learning how to um, teach practical skills, but also critique, do a little bit of knowledge exchange through lectures, it's it's all really, um, I don't know, new to me, teaching type, but I'm really digging it and loving it and feel like we're starting to hit some strides and my students get to participate in how I teach and what I teach. And so I'm really, I'm really liking it. And, and it reminds me, I was having a conversation with a a friend this weekend about my teaching style, um, and I think this is related. And and I was saying that I want to really care about the content, but I also want to really care about the students. And I think sometimes it's hard. Either you really care about the students, or you really care about the content, and one gets sacrificed. And so I'm really trying to find that balance where, like, I'm sharing and showing that I care for the content, but also showing and sharing that I care about the students. 
And I think that's worked for me in the past and that students feel cared for, but they also know I take the, this work seriously. And, and I think that adds up to them. Like, I don't know, hopefully it's compelling and builds enthusiasm, but, um, really, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Take that for what it's worth, but that's what I'm, I'm learning from teaching and type and gosh, yeah, it's, it's fun. I I'm excited to teach type this week. Again, we're going to get into grids systems and hyphens and, uh, all kinds of things. Um, and last but not least in design strategy, we moved away from, uh, learning about trends, which had a lot, actually had a lot of fun doing that. I, again, just to remind you, my, my team focused on um, how values are resetting during COVID. And I got to study intentional communities and people who are moving to like micro farms just outside of cities. And I tell you what, I'm every, you know, I'm seeing this even like in articles I'm reading, there's um, people are talking about. It. So it kind of validates the trend I think we were starting to see um, when like a famous architect or trend person says, yeah, that's, that's actually happening. Um, but what we're actually moving to now is a, a global local issue. And I, my neighbor, Emily Hills, she's a PhD. She, she advised me to, you know, mitigate the amount of work I do by, um, kind of buddying up projects so that, uh, like one project is similar to the other project. And so, um, in design issues, I'm focused on the community of boondockers who lives in their car and how to connect them. Um, you know, especially a disparate community with highs and lows, um, as far as economic status. And then in this design strategy class, I'm, I'm focused on people who are experiencing homelessness, but really it's not about the people who are experiencing the homelessness or living in their vehicles, say. Um, but it's, it's the stigmas that people who live in houses have of people who don't live in houses. And how do we change that stigma? What are some strategies? Because I think we often see that like, oh, you live in a van? gets back to that Chris Farley sketch. Like if you, if you do poorly, you're going to be a dude that lives down by the river in your van. And, and that like in America, that's not the goal. The goal is to live in a house or rent a condo or live downtown in a building. Um, and increasingly people are, are being forced to live in cars because of skyrocketing housing prices in big cities. Um, and also, you know, this impending recession that we might have. Um, and the evictions are going to start to pile up in 2021 after the, um, the, I guess there's a grace period right now on evictions. And so what if, you know, there was new creative ways to living that didn't force people down a certain pipeline into a house, but gave them homes, um, whether it's encampments or um, living in cars and free parking spaces around cities. But the only way that's going to happen is if um, people who are residents of cities change their perspective of people who, who don't live in houses. And um, so that's something I'm interested in. I, I, I'm still learning. I had a great conversation with my friend who's a, a lawyer or is, um, yeah, yeah, he's a lawyer and a uh, new lawyer. And we were just talking about how, why is it that, that citizens kind of rely on, on um, the justice system to take care of homeless people and, and um, criminalizing homelessness essentially when, it's kind of an Eighth Amendment right to to sleep, as I'm learning, um, that homelessness or experiencing homelessness is a condition and therefore it can't be criminalized. And if there's nowhere to stay in a city, then sleeping outside is your only option, then you shouldn't be arrested for that. 
And if you're forced by the conditions of our society to live in a vehicle, then that also shouldn't be criminalized. And so trying to figure out what that looks like, I'm excited to go further in that. I'm well over my 10 minutes, so I'm going to stop there. Um, feel a bit rambly this week, but uh, I hope you enjoyed. If you like something you heard, I'd love to talk to you about it. Let's set up a, a coffee or a Zoom call. Have a great week.